Dear Republican-nominated justices, about overturning Roe v. Wade, I think it's preposterous. Wait, 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 just a minute here. Look here, lady. The truth is, it don't matter what you think. We're tired of you overeducated women and your opinions. Overeducated? There's no such thing as overeducated. Yes, there is. Look at you, with your international relations bachelor's and master's degrees. And you're not even paying student debt because you went to school in Europe, where those socialists don't rip you off like we do here in America. That's why you don't like the idea of being barefoot and pregnant. Overeducated. No, it's a constitutional right and a human right. No civilized country in the Too world. Too late. Ha- we radicalized our base. They're now bona fide extremists. And we got to please them and they're going to try to hang us like they did Mike Pence. We need to get back to the good old times when women were in the kitchen and segregated schools were the norm. And definitely less access to education. That's a must. More guns, less education and taking away more rights unless they make a profit for us. Hi, Neil. Hi, Sandra. Welcome to our listeners, too. I hope they found my southern accent better than my German. Today, because of the leaked draft opinion from the Supreme Court, we're discussing Roe v. Wade, forced pregnancy, and why the United Nations classifies it as a crime against humanity. And I also have a personal story. Well, it's my dad's story as a doctor in communist Romania when abortions were banned for over two decades with disastrous, catastrophic consequences. We'll also explain how it's actually racism that's at the root of the anti-abortion insanity. That's what truly galvanized the right wing in the 70s and 80s, the IRS revoking tax-exempt status for private fundamentalist schools who refused to allow African-Americans to study there. So yeah, this was basically just a pivot to a new thing in the 1970s. The conservatives fought desegregation by various means for about two decades. And when they ultimately lost that fight, they needed a new social cause because for some strange reason, middle-class blue-collar people don't get very excited about bank deregulation and corporate tax cuts, which is the Republicans' other big things. So the Republicans zeroed in on Roe versus Wade, and it's been their pet project for about 50 years since. Exactly. We'll get into that and a lot of interesting facts regarding abortion in other countries too. A short history of Roe v. Wade, the woman who was in fact Jane Roe, her name was Norma McCorvey, and her story. And regarding our overeducated thing in the intro, Matt Gates started tweeting about women being overeducating, saying that's why they protest overturning Roe. It seems to be a thing with Republicans now, this idea that women who disagree with them are overeducated. Regardless of formal education, women are much smarter and courageous, and we are united on this, but it's a new thing, attacking women for wanting to get higher education or having degrees. It somehow became a bad thing. It's insane. Yeah, and that's not a wild exaggeration in the title either. Sandra found this while reading up on the UN policies during our Russia-Ukraine episodes, and apparently the United States is now about to endorse what the UN considers crimes against humanity. Humanity, in this case, being its own citizens. Yes, the United Nations Office of Genocide Protection and Responsibility to Protect lists forced pregnancy as a crime against humanity in Article 7.1g, the Rome Statute of International Criminal Court. Forced pregnancy is right up there with murder, enslavement, the crime of apartheid, you know, racism. Things or concepts that Republicans are fond of, let's put it that way. Just to clarify, forced pregnancy does not refer to forced impregnation, okay? That's rape. Forced pregnancy means exactly what you hear. A ban on abortions is forcing women to be pregnant and give birth. This is classified by the United Nations as a crime against humanity. Yeah, according to that statute, crimes against humanity do not need to be linked to an armed conflict. Uh, They can also occur in peacetime, similar to the crime of genocide. And that article provides a definition of the crime that contains the following main elements. Number one. A physical element, which includes commission of grave forms of sexual violence. Forced pregnancy is listed as a grave form of sexual violence. Number two, a contextual element. When committed as part of a widespread or systematic attack directed against any civilian population. In our case, half of the population, women. Number three, a mental element 
with knowledge of the attack. Republicans know what they're doing, obviously. They're not in a coma. They know exactly what all this means. So, check, check, check. And in contrast with genocide, crimes against humanity do not need to target a specific group. Instead, the victim of the attack can be any civilian population, regardless of its affiliation or identity. And another important distinction is that in the case of crimes against humanity, it is not necessary to prove that there is an overall specific intent. It suffices for there to be a simple intent to commit any of the acts listed. So I think this is a slam dunk, really. It's not like Republicans are hiding their intent. We'll drop the link to the United Nations list of crimes against humanity in the episode notes for you guys. Yeah, and we're really just going to get back to those coat hanger back alley abortions, which are a high risk for the women involved. It'll cause people to die, but abortions won't cease to exist. Uh, Then again, Republicans don't care much about people dying. Right, they don't care about women dying. In fact, they've become so radicalized that even cases of raped 12-year-olds, incest cases, and cases in which a woman would die if she keeps the pregnancy or is forced to give birth do not move them. And yes, I use the word radicalized because this is what this is. This is religious extremism, which rears its ugly head in the highest court of the law in the land. And through politicians whose only goal is profit and re-election, that's the thing, Let's hear what Matt DePerno, Republican candidate running for office of attorney general in Michigan, thinks. When they asked me, the first question was, do you have any exceptions to abortion? And I said, I do not. They said, well, what about raping innocents? I said, I do not have exceptions to abortion. And they then said, well, what about the life of the mother? Okay, do you have an exception for that? I said, I do not. Dana Nessel has come out and said, she will not, if Rover's Wade is overturned, and I believe it will, she said she will not enforce the 1950s law that's still on the books in Michigan that says that it's illegal to assist in an abortion. And I would enforce that law immediately when I'm elected this morning. So this guy will prosecute doctors, medical professionals, and the woman if she survives, and charge them with murder, which can carry, at minimum, a life sentence in prison, even if the abortion is performed to save the woman's life. This is extremism. This is radicalization, plain and simple, and there is no other way to describe it. Even in Saudi Arabia, abortion is legal in cases of risk to a woman's life, fetal impairment, or to protect her physical and mental health. In Saudi Arabia, where they think women can drive because it affects their uterus, even those guys allow abortion in certain cases. Even Afghanistan, now under the rule of the Taliban, allow abortions to save a mother's life. Afghanistan people, Republicans are more radicalized than the Taliban. That was actually a running joke in the early 2000s. I think it started with Bill Maher. Uh, He called them the American Taliban (laughs) at some point. And it goes without saying that the guy in the audio clip has no medical expertise at all. He's not a doctor or a nurse. Of course he's not. Neither of these right-wing extremists have any medical understanding of the issue. It's not about lives, because obviously they have no problem with a fully grown woman who might be a mother and have actual fully grown kids dying. An embryo though, ooh. And let me be clear, for those who don't get it, a seed is not a flower, an egg is not a chicken. That's it. When you eat a boiled egg, you're not eating a chicken. It's not hard. This is not for our listeners, though. I have a feeling that if they're still with us, they're with us on this issue entirely. Yeah, let's also not forget that these are the same people who about 10 years ago were proclaiming their intent to not get their daughters HPV vaccines because uh, Republican Jesus wants your (laughs) wife or daughter or mother or whoever to die of cervical cancer, I guess. I had a teenage daughter then who's 21 now, and I remember all that stuff like it was yesterday. Yeah, that's insane. And back to our sheep uh, about banning safe abortions. I'm originally from Romania, a former USSR satellite country. Also a pastoral (laughs) country, apparently. Everything is a barnyard expression from the sheep to the chicken and whatever other animals. Yes, we do have quite a few animal-related expressions. And the back to our sheep one means back to what we were discussing, back to the business at hand. And this expression is very common Because indeed, we used to be a very pastoral country. Even our national ballad is about a sheep. Her name is Miorica. 
Your national <laughs> song is a pastoral poem, and you want to fight with me about literary references. Oh, how the mighty fall from <laughs> grace. <laughs> yes, it's a very long ballad, and we will discuss it someday, but... Now, let's get back to our ship. So, abortion was illegal in the USSR between 1936 and 1955, and our dictator in Romania, Ceausescu, felt inspired by that and decided he wanted to increase the country's population, so he started promoting this idea of a great communist socialist superwoman who can have many children and have a career at the same time and be an active member of the workforce too and of the party. So, in 1966, Ceausescu banned abortion and contraceptive measures too, much like the Republicans, who are turning the truth on its head and pretend they are anti-socialist communists, want to do here now. By the way, before this lunatic banned abortion, we had one of the most liberal abortion policies in Europe. I'm sure by 2024 we'll have all of our learned judges telling us how banning birth control makes complete sense to them too. But I'm curious, how did they go about the logistics of their... I don't know, birth policies? It's such a ridiculous phrase, but I can't think of how else to express it. <laughs> yeah, well, it didn't go well. Disaster happened. From 1966-67, when abortion was banned, until the Romanian Revolution in 1989, when we got rid of Ceausescu. So for over two decades, hundreds of thousands of women died in unsafe, coat hanger, back alley procedures. Hundreds of thousands of unwanted kids ended up in orphanages or in street gangs where they would be physically mutilated on purpose so that they can be used to beg for money at street corners and make a profit for their, you know, owners. Like, it was a whole mafia thing about this. And this ban is one of the biggest tragedies that happened to my country. Overflooding a system that was already weak and not well-funded. The orphanages were full, abuse was at its peak in those places, child protective services were overwhelmed, which will happen here as well. They're already overwhelmed. Yeah, it sounds like the US in the 80s and 90s too, really. Social services were cut to almost nothing in many places in the US in those decades. And we'll surely have an episode at some point about the history of mental institutions. Those were the most prominent stories uh, back then. But in any case, social services now are basically politicized in the U.S. like everything else. In some states, the U.S. family law services are just non-existent. And in other states like Texas, they are basically Republican cash registers. Uh, they use them to catch all the money not spent on other social services so that it can be redirected to prosecutors who they plan to be the next generation of Republican politicians. But yeah, they don't care about kids in foster homes or orphanages. They only care about the political value of a social election issue. The Trials of Gabriel Fernandez on Netflix is a pretty good documentary about the failures of these systems. It's a good one. I saw it too. Cried the whole time. Had to stop at some point. It's really hard to watch because it's so touching. But look, people don't realize the extent to which abortion bans affects the whole society. I don't know how many people remember those images of Romanian orphanages that came out after the revolution in 1989. The immense numbers of women who already had three, four children and simply couldn't afford to have more, right? So these women tried to get an abortion and some of them died and left their actual born children orphan. And these children and other unwanted abandoned children filled the streets of my country way into the 90s. There was no place left anymore in orphanages. They were so crowded. So these kids lived on the streets, abused and taken advantage of, maimed and used to make profit. And the state, seeing the mess they did, could not admit to it. So Ceausescu pretended it never happened. Like these problems didn't exist. These tragedies you saw at every corner were not a thing. And people became desensitized because if you keep seeing the pain and suffering every single day, it becomes easier to look the other way. So what do they do to enforce these policies on the doctors? I can guess, but yeah, go ahead and tell us. My dad was a thoracic surgeon, and naturally he had OBGYN friends, and if women in my mom's or his circle would discreetly inquire for a recommendation to find a trusted medical professional to perform an abortion procedure and avoid going to a butcher, that's how the back alley abortion people were called, 
My dad would kind of direct them to certain colleagues he knew that were willing to help. Obviously, it was all hush-hush and done in secret because they could go to prison and lose their license for that. But I do remember that at one point my dad was, well, not arrested, but I guess taken in for questioning. So basically somebody snitched. Yes, because you're asking how the state managed to enforce the abortion ban so successfully. This is how, in all totalitarian regimes, people are slowly manipulated, brainwashed through propaganda. And yes, in my dad's case, someone snitched and he was gone for about seven, eight days taken by the Securitate. Those were Ceausescu's security services. And when he came back home, he looked terrible. He had lost a lot of weight and I didn't understand much at the time, but my mom told me, the whole story later. It was actually a janitor at the hospital who snitched and he was a communist party hardliner, I guess. And back then in communist Romania, if you snitched, you got perks too, like a bigger salary or a better job. And that's what the system does, divides people and uses them against each other as weapons. So again, basically Texas, yes, they tried to do the same thing here a couple of years ago. They put a sort of bounty system in place for people to call and report abortion seekers. But the immediate response to this from noted real-life Dr. Strangelove governor Greg Abbott was to suggest that we should also get rid of public education, too. But in your father's case, what happened to the other doctors and the other OBGYNs? Well, they were all interrogated, but none of them went to prison as far as I know, because the truth is the medical personnel in all disciplines was needed at the time. And also, I think the hospital director had some connections in the party and kind of intervened. But I know it was a very scary time for my mom and my dad and his uh, OBGYN buddies kept doing the same thing, helping women, but taking more precautions. And by the way, what the state is trying to do, I see these trademarks that are being repeated here and they scare me about education, about what they're trying to do to women. And it kind of, you know, it fits. Yeah, and there's more of these Eastern European growing up Soviet stories in our premium episodes too. I still laugh at the bit about having to pick your friends by your license plate restrictions. They're very good stories. And since you mentioned our premium episodes, guys, if you enjoy our content and want to support us, because by the way, we are a completely independent podcast. We have no editing team, no sound people, no budget, no media company backing us up. And we work on these episodes you hear on nights and weekends. If you want to support us, you can become a patron by clicking on the link in the episode notes or by going to dubiouspot.com and there's a become a patron button there. And the best part is that the sign-up process is easy, super, super easy, takes you 10 seconds, not the usual hassle because we don't use Patreon. Yeah, and you'll get all of our episodes ad-free, plus two premium episodes a month, only available to our patrons. Yes, and back to our ship, I'd like to point out that Ceausescu's ban was ultimately much less successful than the Communist Party wanted. The rates of unsafe abortions skyrocketed, especially in the bigger cities, so much so that after 1984, the government's policies became super aggressive. Women of reproductive age were closely monitored, and those who worked for the state were required to undergo regular gynecological examinations at their place of employment. And investigations were carried out to determine the cause of all miscarriages. What? That is the most insane thing I've heard in quite a while. Uh, is this a country or like a holding pen for livestock? Well, that's what happens. And that's why people need to really take this seriously. This is not a joke. That's why I'm so upset about it. And yes, it is insane. And let me show you some more. Ceausescu even increased taxes on childlessness and unmarried persons, mostly women who had to pay a special tax. This whole thing I'm seeing again now in America happened back in my country. Single women, career women were portrayed by the party as broken. And now in 2022, in the United States, there's a meme online and Republicans love it. It's an illustration. It shows this family, a dad, a mom, the mom is in a dress, you know, kind of like scooching down near the husband so that the husband looks taller so that it's clear he's the head of the family. And she's lovingly holding his arm, you know, holding another baby with the other arm. And like there are three other toddlers on the ground and one girl and two boys. And the little girl is holding a doll and the boys have cars and planes. So, you know, like 
Yes, everybody know their role. Yes, everybody know their role. And the woman doubtingly looks at her husband while smiling and, you know, touching his shoulder. It's, it's insane. And on the other side of the photo is this skinny young woman eating pizza, sitting there in her jeans and like a cool t-shirt. And she has a glass of wine. And there's a big deal doing there too. And there's a cat as well. And they made this young lady look sad and miserable. <laughs> the, the big dildo is a nice point. So, yes, ladies, if you don't have a Republican husband and at least 18 toddlers, you will be a blue dyed hair cat lady, just like Sandra. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have blue hair anymore, but I do have my cats and my dog, yes. And the thing is, to me, it's insane because that meme, like, I want to be the girl with the pizza and the wine and the dildo and the cats and like... <laughs> I don't want to be the girl with five toddlers and, you know, it's insane. I don't even know what they're trying to do because it doesn't really work. It's it's crazy. But about Ceausescu, he also made divorce really difficult to get, even in cases of spousal abuse, you know. And he criminalized, of course, same-sex relationships. All the Republican wet dreams are what dictators of the world have done in communist countries. Let me put it that way. So it will probably surprise people to hear that the predominantly Protestant, predominantly conservative, and racist states were not entirely anti-abortion in the 1960s. Evangelicals were broadly in favor of it, actually, based on racist ideas, but in favor of it nonetheless. In addition to the more predictable states like Washington, New York, Hawaii, and Alaska. The New York State Senate passed one of the nation's most permissive laws, and guess what? It was a Republican governor who signed it into law. And as a general rule, the places where these pro-abortion laws were passed tended to be run by Republicans. Ronald Reagan voted for signing such a bill into law in California in 1967. Colorado's bill passed in 1967, North Carolina also 67, Georgia 68, Maryland 68, Kansas 69, Arkansas 69, New Mexico 69, Virginia 70s, South Carolina 1970. Think about it, Republicans were spearheading the change they wanted and did pass pro-abortion laws across the country. The only part of the country that completely failed in passing these bills were in the Northeast, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Maine, Rhode Island. Because the biggest opposition to abortion came from the Catholics. So it was actually the northeastern states that could not pass pro-abortion laws in many cases, whereas the southern states passed them in droves, just as the political party labels were reversed in those days, too. This is shocking. The political scene, the political environment is unrecognizable. The left was the right and the right was the left. It's kind of insane. Yeah, and it was all about race, as we mentioned at the top of this episode. The desegregation decision from the Supreme Court completely reversed a political party affiliation over time. So Texas had not legalized abortion yet in 1970, and that's how the Roe case came to be. Norma McCorvey, a.k.a. Jane Roe, did not want to continue her third pregnancy, so her doctor referred her to an adoption lawyer who then gave her the numbers of Linda Coffey and Sarah Weddington, who wanted to bring a abortion case to the Supreme Court. These two young women were feminists, and the truth is Norma McCorvey, Jane Rowe, was perfect for this initiative from a legal standpoint. But other than that, not really. She was a terrible spokesperson. She was what some would call a loose cannon, the perfect choice legally, but a very flawed choice from a PR standpoint, if you will. Either way, they went ahead, they got before the Supreme Court and won, and the court ruled 7-2 to two in favor of Roe. The date was January 22, 1973. Unimaginable unity by today's situation. Inconceivable today, 7-2. to two. Yeah, everything's 5-4 to four today. So, for context, the Supreme Court only struck down laws prohibiting birth control distribution in 1972, one year before the Roe decision. The law prohibiting discrimination against women in financial transactions was not even passed in 1973. It was passed in 1974. So, there were places in the U.S. that prohibited women from having their own bank accounts without a husband's permission prior to that law's passage, too. 
Texas had an abortion ban in 1970, but a state district court had ruled the state law unconstitutional based on privacy grounds. And like our other friends who ran for Senate in Alabama, the Dallas County District Attorney declared his intent to ignore the higher court and prosecute people who sought abortions anyway. And he was the Wade in the Roe versus Wade case. The Roe case was filed with him as a defendant specifically. They wanted to be against him. Mm -hmm, for good reason. And this 1972 Supreme Court decision legalizing abortion was nothing like the 1954 Brown versus Board of Education when schools were desegregated or the 1962 decision banning prayer in school, which, by the way, I have a feeling the evangelical crowd is going to push for next, among other things. I mean, they've already turned back the clock on the prayer in schools thing, basically. So we have... Essentially, five Supreme Court justices appointed by the Bush CIA at this point. Bush Jr. lost the 2000 election, but the Supreme Court appointed him president anyway. And he appointed Alito and Roberts. Uh, Roberts, before he was appointed to the Supreme Court, worked for the Reagan administration uh, attorney general on trying to roll back the Voting Rights Act in the 1980s, which, as we all remember, the... Republican court accomplished in the past few years as well. Alito and Barrett are basically replacements for Scalia, uh, trying to enforce Catholic doctrine on a country that wasn't ever predominantly so to begin with. And really, Kavanaugh, I mean, he's just a drunken idiot frat boy. All the conspiracies and about- And a rapist. Yeah, and a rapist probably- all of the conspiracies about his money, though, they're all kind of sketchy to me. What he really got money from was his father was a cosmetics company lobbyist who was particularly concerned with preventing Congress from passing animal cruelty restrictions. I hate these people. Yes, they're just awful, aren't they? Yes, horrible. Most of the criticism about Kavanaugh from his other legal colleagues is not really ideological. It's more about how stupid and unqualified he is. So I don't think there's a grand conspiracy other than this is what they've been doing for 50 years. So the idea that, uh, you know, Trump was some evil mastermind genius, I don't think it really holds up in the case of these judges. They've been appointing these judges for decades for this purpose. They have been working toward this. And they're all Bush-approved judges. Yes, and Trump just happened to be the useful idiot who made it happen, and... Yes, useful idiot is the exact word. I think he really... I mean, he liked watching <laughs> himself be president on TV, and he liked his tweets, and he just did whatever staffers told him to do, and the staffers were all holdovers from Reagan and Bush. So that's how we got basically five a full majority Bush-appointed Supreme Court justices. Yes, and I just wanted to say something about the 1972 Supreme Court decision legalizing abortion, just to clarify that, you know, at the time, it wasn't seen as anything major, not controversial. It was just a Supreme Court decision. Nobody had any issues, right? That was what I was trying to say earlier. It wasn't as uh, a big thing, you know, like uh, Brown versus Board of Education. So at the time, everything was fine. Yeah, it was not it was not this unified issue that it is today. Uh, it had mm -hmm. to be sold uh, to become a unifying issue. And the reason it was sold... Well, divisive, I would say. Yes. Divisive, yes. not unifying. Yes. Well, it's unifying for them. For them. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. it's unifying <laughs> for them. That's what I was getting at. And the reason it's unifying for them and the reason it was sold to them is because they lost the desegregation issue. The Brown decision was the bigger shock to conservatives. And the one who wrote the majority opinion in the Roe case was actually a Nixon appointee. It was Harry Blackman. And he was the reason that these conservatives have built this entire infrastructure of cultivating and promoting their judges because they always saw Blackman as a sort of betrayer. It was the birth control decision that established a clear right to medical privacy 
which really exists in the Fourth Amendment. I know that's one of their favorite things to claim that there's no right to privacy in the Constitution, but there is. It's right there in the Fourth Amendment. It says people have a right to be secure in their persons. That's it. Uh, it just doesn't agree with them, so they pretend like it doesn't exist. Yeah, well, the word privacy does not exist, but it's, yeah, it's, I mean, there is a concept that we could interpret as privacy. It's just that, again, it's one of those things that if they're overturning Roe v. Wade and if they're rolling back laws, privacy would be an easy one to attack because, again, it's very diluted in the Constitution. It's not very clearly expressed. Yes, and a very good point Blackman made back then is that abortion is a matter of privacy. This is a medical issue between a woman and her doctor, and we as women are constitutionally protected, like any citizens, to have our medical visits, interactions, procedures, and records private. The government has no business getting involved. Any abortion ban is deeply unconstitutional. And women having equal rights is the betrayal from Blackman that gets them going, really. Because ultimately, that's what this is mm -hmm. all about. Their whole theology is built around the subservience of women. But Exactly, the yes. The yes. funny thing is, they don't even really believe in their theology very much. I don't think they've thought it through. Because <laughs> here's the thing. So what purpose can trying to reestablish a theocratic religious tradition possibly serve? Their theology says that the world is fallen. It has no hope. It just lingers until the rapture, which we all know is coming any day now. It's been coming any day now for about three or four centuries, as far as I can tell. So there's nothing within their theology that says forcing people into a certain behavior will make any difference. It's more about power and retribution mm -hmm. for things that they don't like. Exactly. They have pooped their own bed. <laughs> and then they complain that it stinks. And naturally, it's always the wife's fault. Exactly. That's very well put. So as we see, the abortion issue is really not rooted in the Republicans' care for life. They don't give a flying poopsie about life. They're okay with toddlers being gunned down in schools. And they were the ones passing abortion laws left and right in the beginning. This anti-abortion extremism, this craze, it is rooted in their racism and hate for women. Yeah. You have to look at the whole string of decisions, not just Roe. It's not a solitary thing. The two birth control decisions that came before Roe go hand in hand with all this. What got them going was equality for women, not just abortion. Uh, of course, no politician is going to admit to that because it means they'll get zero women voters, but that's what it is. In their theology, Eve caused the whole world to fall, and therefore, <laughs> when, you know, your football team loses or your wife won't bring you another beer, it's always Eve's fault. And abortion rulings and birth control legalization and prohibition on discrimination in financial institutions on the basis of gender, all these were taking away their theology's notion that women were property of their husbands, mm -hmm. just like the idea that black people were property oh. of white people. And they lost that battle. So this one was a good fit to just plug right back into you know, the same puzzle and keep going. And that's what motivated the Jerry Falwells of the world. Yes, because at that point, Republicans and evangelicals started to associate abortions with emancipation and progress for women, which they obviously didn't like then and still hate now. That's how the culture wars started. Until then, they had no issue whatsoever with women getting abortions as long as they still clean the house, cook, and are willing to satisfy their husbands whenever they feel like it, and are submissive and don't want careers and jobs. Everything was fine. Until yeah. the 80s, kind of, I would say, yeah. So, there's a guy. There's always a guy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In this case, his name is Paul Wyrick, who realized that this might be something that would galvanize and organize evangelicals to become more politically active, which prior to these decisions, they were really not. Uh, they were a big demographic, but not really interested in politics all that much. 
And there have been previous attempts by Weirich to get them involved in politics. Uh, he tried porn, for example, but <laughs> turns out they like porn. So they're pretty, you know, they're like the rest of us in that. But, like porn, I exactly. mean. Exactly. Yeah. But, but abortion was the kicker. They bought it. Uh, they loved it. So anti-abortion got them going. Yes, yes. So Paul Weirich needed a moral majority quote unquote, but this hypothetical moral majority needed a catalyst, a common goal around which to rally. And for almost 20 years, Wyrick, by his own account, had been trying out these different issues, hoping one might pick and stick with the evangelicals. Uh, pornography, prayer in schools, the proposed Equal Acts Amendment to the Constitution, and then abortion. He even says, quote, I was trying to get these people interested in those issues and I utterly failed until he reached the abortion. He said that in the 1990s. Yes. And the timing was perfect, really. The Green versus Connolly decision affirmed that a private school which practiced racial discrimination could not be eligible for a tax exemption. And that was the thing that really bothered the evangelicals mm -hmm. prior to their abortion turn, so to speak. They tried to build these walled private school gardens for themselves after the desegregation ruling, but the IRS took the segregated schools away. Exactly. So this captured the attention of evangelical leaders, especially as the IRS began sending questionnaires to church-related segregation academies, including Falwell's own Lynchburg Christian School, inquiring about their racial policies. And Falwell was livid. He was furious. In some states, he famously complained, it's easier to open a massage parlor than a Christian school. Bob Jones University was the big case in that era. It was a South Carolina private college that pretty much openly told everybody that it did not admit black students, including the IRS. Yes, although Bob Jones Jr., the school's founder, argued that racial segregation was mandated by the Bible, Falwell and Weirich quickly sought to shift the grounds for the debate and framed their opposition in terms of religious freedom rather than in the defense of racial segregation. For decades, evangelical leaders said that because their educational institution accepted no federal money, except for, of course, not having to pay taxes, the government could not tell them how to run their shops, whom to hire or not, or whom to admit or reject. Well, the Civil Rights Act, however, changed that math. Yes, and following the initial IRS inquiries into the school's racial policies, Bob Jones University allowed one black student, a worker in its radio station, as a part-time student. Uh, the kid dropped out a month later, and of in 19... Of course he did. I mean, can you, can you imagine? Can you imagine? I give him credit for making it a month? Yes, yes. Oh my goodness. And then in 1975, again, in an attempt to stall the IRS, uh, the school admitted black students to the student body. But, of course, here we get to the big problem that they foresee out of fears of miscegenation, of course, refused to admit unmarried black students. Oh. One of the rules was that students who engaged mm. in any interracial dating who were even associated with organizations that advocated interracial mm. dating would be expelled. Thankfully, the IRS was not placated, and on January 19, 1976, after years and years of warnings, integrate or pay taxes, the IRS actually rescinded the school's tax exemption status. Yes. Good. Look, oh my good. This is the thing that gets me about these people. We're not talking, it's not like they showed up with soldiers to burn the school to the ground. They said, no, you have to pay taxes now. That was it. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, it's all about the money, Neil. That's the uh, thing. Let's be honest. It's always the money. The it's only always the thing money. Yes, it's always the money. And for those who'd been following the issue since Green versus Connolly, Bob Jones University was the last straw. Uh, Elmer L. Rumminger, longtime administrator at Bob Jones University, said in an interview with Politico, actually, that the IRS sanctions against his school, quote, alerted the Christian school community about what could happen with government interference in the business of evangelical institutions. That was really the major issue that got us all involved. Not that you had to close, not that you had to 
change the name, not that you had to even apologize. You just had to pay your taxes. And that is a bridge too far. Yes, that's that's the root of the issue here. Racism and money. Money. That's it. So Wyrick saw that he had the beginnings of a conservative political movement, which is why several years into Jimmy Carter's term, he and other leaders of the religious right uh, blamed the Democratic president for the IRS actions against the segregated schools. Even though the policy was started under Nixon and Bob Jones University had lost its tax exemption a year before Carter was even in office. Yes, it's what Republicans are still doing now. They've become experts at blaming the Democrats for things that can't possibly be their fault. Anyway, Falwell and Weirich and others did not care about facts, which is still the case with Republicans and the radicalized base. And in their determination to elect a conservative, they did anything to stop a Democrat, even a fellow evangelical like Carter, from winning another term in the White House. But Falwell and Wyrick knew that they couldn't turn the clock back in a short period of time on racism. That was a fight they'd already lost and really had been losing since the 1860s when they lost the Civil War. People weren't going to sign up to participate in a political movement that is destined to lose. So this strategy worked to rally the leaders of those evangelical organizations, but they needed a different issue if they wanted to mobilize evangelical voters on a large scale, because they needed the money and the votes. So they went with abortion. By 1980, even though Carter had sought both as governor of Georgia and as president to reduce the incidence of abortion, his refusal to seek a constitutional amendment outlawing it was viewed by politically conservative evangelicals as an unforgivable sin. Never mind the fact that his Republican opponent that year, Ronald Reagan, had signed into law as governor of California in 67 the most liberal abortion bill in the country. Yeah, Nixon was a California Republican too. So hypocrisy is another one of their favorites. When Reagan addressed a rally of about 10,000 evangelicals at an arena here in Dallas in August of 1980. He talked about the, quote, unconstitutional regulatory uh -oh. agenda of the IRS against independent schools. But there's no mention of race and there's no mention of abortion directly. They love their dog whistles, so to speak, mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, they're really afraid to say what they really think in public. Yes, that's true. They'll never admit, you know, they're racists or things like that. So they rallied around abortion because that was a more, you know, respectable cause, quote unquote. Now, Carter lost the 1980 election for a variety of reasons. Not only the opposition of the religious right, he faced a big challenge from within his own party. You know, Edward Kennedy's failed quest for the Democratic nomination did undermine Carter's support among liberals. Yeah, and Carter was a more conservative Democrat than most. His economic policies were not good to his union base of voters. And rather than seek some sort of peaceful solution to conflict in the Middle East, he signed off on a bunch of sort of bungled black ops into Iran after their 1979 kind of far-right revolution, which is not really conducive to being reelected as a left-wing candidate in the 1970s. The anti-war movement was still the litmus test for getting people on the political left to vote for a candidate, and Carter failed that test. So Reagan, on the other hand, he was giving his people exactly what they wanted to hear. It was not just the speech in Dallas. He also gave speeches at famous lynching sites in the Deep South. So he knew his base wanted racism, and he was giving it to them. Yes, and although abortion had emerged as a rallying cry by 1980, the real roots of the religious right did not originate in the defense of a fetus, but in the defense of racial segregation. Bob Jones Jr., the school's founder we talked about earlier, the Bob Jones University, clearly said that racial segregation was mandated by the Bible, and unfortunately it is. Evangelicals have been chopping away at the First Amendment, really, since... Thomas mm -hmm. Jefferson was in office. This is not a new thing for them. The history of it is, I mean, before we even got through president number two, different sects of 
evangelicals in Virginia were persecuting each other. So one of them appealed to the Thomas Jefferson administration for help against the other, and he refused them both. He was basically a deist, which is, in religious terms, somebody who you know, believes in the good nature of religious uh, theology, but he doesn't believe in the supernatural. So it was Thomas Jefferson who originated the term wall of separation between church and state. Yes, and... Because of all these things that religious texts contain, things like, you know, interracial marriage not being uh, okay, or the gays, you know, should be persecuted, and things like that, which, by the way, are in the Bible and the Quran, and, you know, like, they are there, unfortunately. That's the problem. Because of that, if there ever is a wall we need to build and enforce and build it higher and higher, is the wall between church and state, because this is the root of all evil, organized religion and the money that goes into organized religion or religion, not just one religion. And by that, I mean, you know, the very, very rich church leaders, all the private jet con men who don't pay taxes, but when a flood happens like it did in Houston, they won't let people take shelter in their mega churches not to stain the carpets. And none of what those dudes have to say, nothing they say must be reflected in laws Religious beliefs must be kept away from law like you keep sharp objects from a baby. Otherwise, things go dangerously wrong. That is why the separation of church and state is in the First Amendment of the Constitution. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. The two parts, known as the Establishment Clause and the Free Exercise Clause, respectively, form the textual basis for the Supreme Court's interpretations. Article 6 of the U.S. Constitution states that, quote, no religious test shall ever be required as a qualification to any office or public trust under the United States. But we have that exact thing in Texas, speaking of religious qualifications. Mm. The state of Texas requires, since 2018, state employees to sign a loyalty oath to Israel. I am what? not joking. Uh, we're going to have a New York Times story what? about this in the notes. There is a case pending. Uh, this woman worked as a speech pathologist for a school district, a public school district. And I mean, it's not like they did not hire her when she refused to sign. She already worked there. And... When she came up for a contract renewal, they hit her with, you have to sign a pledge that you will not boycott Israel. And she refused and they fired her. So, and there's also a story about this going on at Texas A&M's, which is a state university. So nobody has overturned this as of yet, to my knowledge. This is absolute insanity and it's unconstitutional for sure. Absolutely it is. Absolutely. I don't even know how to describe this, but this is what I'm, you know, talking about when I say eroding democracies and people saying that, oh, we have a constitution, things can Well, this is how you do it. This is how little by little. What does, you know, a loyalty pledge to Israel have to do with the education system in Texas? It's insane. Yes. I mean, the idea of, oh, don't worry, the judges will overturn this. That policy has failed. Look at Roe versus Wade. I mean, you yeah. cannot hide behind judges that Republicans have appointed. They will come for whatever it is that you think they are going to protect you from. They will not. Yeah, and let's tell them, Neil, we are actually working on a premium episode right now about bad judges, and we have some really crazy cases in there, and Charlize Theron is involved. She's such a nice person. I don't know. I love her so much. But yeah, I mean, these people are... You know, not all of them, of course, but there are some really, really bad apples in there. Uh, yes, and uh, that's one thing we got into in that premium episode is it was an interesting story because it involved a celebrity and a bad judge that couldn't stop himself from posting on the internet. I mean, it turned into a nationwide survey of judges. There are lots. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> anyways, yes, these people have a religious belief that they are justified in their cruelty because of their medieval folktales, and they're never going to be reasonable just because people wish they would be. You know, we cannot have secular laws without enforcing secular laws. That's what our founders wanted. 
Yes, and America is a secular nation, and for a very good reason, because you can't have people who believe that the teenage girl got pregnant with a ghost write the laws of the land. And I will fight for religious people's rights to practice their religion. I just do not support merging those beliefs with the legal system. That's where the problems occur. Yes, and I mean, at the time that Mary was allegedly pregnant, Women were stoned to death in the mm-hmm. Middle East if they had sex or got pregnant before being married, uh, even if they'd been raped. And in, in some places, they still do this. Mm-hmm. So a teenage girl saying that a ghost impregnated her is not really much of a stretch. <laughs> it's better than being stoned to death, is it not? No, I completely agree. And you know, regarding uh, young pregnant women, we have a legend in Romania too. It's a story called Zburatorul. It's about this handsome flying vampire who impregnates women in their sleep. It's kind of like a ghost thing too. And all cultures have similar stories invented by scared young women who otherwise would have been severely punished for having sex or being raped. These are stories as old as time, but still stories. And by the way, there is nothing in the Bible on abortion because the concept didn't even exist back then. And let's be honest, according to the Bible, God himself killed all the Egyptians' firstborn babies. So... He slaughtered all the babies because the Pharaoh refused to release the Israelite slaves. And God, in his omniscience, in his infinite wisdom, instead of maybe just taking it up with the Pharaoh, you know, man to man or God to God, he decided to kill the innocent babies instead. So, meh, this whole thing, you know, abortion, God, Bible, and, you know, laws of the land and the Supreme Court, these things don't go hand in hand. And look... The thing that also upsets me in the Bible is the story of the poor lambs who had to be killed because their blood was supposed to smear the doors of Israelites so that the angel of death can pass over their houses, hence the Passover holiday, and the little lambs, I don't know, I feel like that's a cruel thing to do. Yes. (laughs) And I can't even believe we have to actually point out how insane it is that Roe versus Wade is on the verge of being overturned in 2022, throwing this country back in time while the rest of the world is moving forward. Since you mentioned the rest of the world, let's take a look at abortion bans and abortion laws in other countries. In the last 20 years, only three countries on this planet rolled back abortion rights. El Salvador, Nicaragua, and Poland. In Poland, abortion is permitted, though, to preserve the woman's health. Incidentally, the other two are countries whose military coup governments were supported by the Reagan administration during the Iran-Contra controversy back in the 80s. You remember when they were flying guns to El Salvador to be passed out to Nicaraguan death squads, and then the planes would come back filled with cocaine to sell in American cities. Yes, and in contrast to these three countries, in the last two decades, nearly 60 countries have liberalized abortion laws. So we have three countries rolling back abortion rights and 60 countries legalizing abortions. In a nutshell, 99% of the civilized world would not dream of banning abortions. And let's be honest, abortion bans happen in countries with eroding democracies, countries which tend to enjoy a bit of totalitarianism. And history taught us that the This bit of totalitarianism tends to grow into a lot more totalitarian type of regimes. It's like cancer. It grows. And to clarify, even in the countries with abortion bans, there are exceptions when abortion is allowed. Uh, What Republicans want to do here is relegate women to property of either a husband or the state because they failed in keeping black people property of a plantation owner or the state. So subjugating women is apparently, to them, the next best thing. Yes, and this is extremism, that's it. This is radicalization, this is the handmaid's tale, welcome to Gilead. Like I said, even Afghanistan, the Taliban, right, and Saudi Arabia. Even these countries have more permissive abortion laws than some states in the U.S. I mean, the Taliban, it's insane. So what happened to Norma McCorvey, a.k.a. Jane Roe, in the end? Well, after the Roe v. Wade success, she gave birth. She could not have an abortion legally until then. It was too late for her. And she gave the baby up for adoption. So then she started working for an abortion clinic, answering the phones. A sort of activist pastor moved right next door to that clinic. 
And she did a 180 degrees turn and started being a poster child for the anti-abortion crowd, saying that she was wrong initially when she advocated for legalizing abortions. And at the end of her life, on her deathbed, she confessed that the right-wingers had paid her the whole time she opposed abortion and that she needed the money, so... Well, this is the whole story, beginning to end. It's pretty disturbing. Let's hope for the best, but honestly, prepare for the worst. Yes, vote, 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 organize locally, vote in the midterms, vote in all elections, vote in the primaries, not just in the presidentials, vote, 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 because more likely than not, even though Democrats will try to codify abortion, it won't happen. And I don't think it will be better. I think it could be done through an act of Congress, obviously in the form of a federal law, but the Republicans in Congress will never let such a thing pass. And let me be clear, though, I'll crawl on broken glass to the polls if I have to, and everyone should. And if you think, oh, I'm not a woman, this won't affect me, I'm not black, I shouldn't worry, oh, I'm not gay, this has nothing to do with me, you just wait, because after they come for all of these people, they'll come for you too, and they'll come come for all of us, because that's what they're doing. They attack one of us, they attack all of us. Pretty much, yes. We're going backwards in time, uh, because that's what they want. I mean, Guantanamo Bay is basically an Inquisition dungeon. The Index Librorum Prohibitorum never really went away. The shortest path to getting elected to a Republican school board is to rile up all the evangelicals with a book banning. And pretty soon, if you're a woman, you will be property of the state, it seems. Or property of your husband, if you have one. Because they want you to be punished for a story about mythical Eve and her apple. But here's the thing. If you hold your nose and, you know, vote for people who don't do these things, who do not, you know, promise a abortion legalization law, then, you know, crawling on broken glass will be for nothing. You got to hold these people to account when you elect them. So politicians need to understand that uh, no, really, you have to actually do these things. You cannot just say, oh, well, the court's going to do it for me, because clearly they will not. Yes, in that leaked opinion, Justice Alito said, I quote, the right to an abortion is not rooted in our country's history and traditions. Well, racial justice is definitely not deeply rooted in our nation's history and traditions. And what do these judges really mean? Do they want to bring back slavery too? Fully, I mean, because the prison industrial complex is already a legal form of slavery, by the way. And that was aimed, the system is aimed at oppressing black and brown people. Let's be honest, that is the truth and we all know it. But that's for another episode. So basically what I'm trying to say is what's next after overturning Roe v. Wade? What's next? And people thought that Roe would just be protected by the courts forever, that it was not conceivable that it would be overturned. Well, it's going to happen. It's believable. And we saw that the whole abortion thing was basically just a diversion. What they really wanted was to keep Mm -hmm. segregated institutions segregated. 2022, and American women might have less rights than women in Afghanistan. And, I mean, it's going to get worse. Yes, and... unless Unless people vote for politicians that will undo this and hold them to account for their promises to undo it, or we will replace you with someone who will. It's going to be a mess. And we have to explain this to everybody we know. We have to talk to people because some people don't fully understand the gravity of what is being done. You know, and sometimes we say things and we don't even realize that people might hear and really change their minds. It doesn't happen often, but it does happen. So be vocal about this, participate in peaceful protests. And, you know, on a positive note regarding being vocal and talking about things, we discussed mental health in the aviation industry in our China plane crash part two episode. Our guest Alex from that episode, he's a Boeing 737 pilot, just sent us a message. Neil, tell the people the good news. Yeah, Alex texted me and said his company heard the podcast and they have rolled out free confidential mental health coaching via text and eight video call sessions with a therapist per year, paid for by the company for all employees. Oh, that is brilliant. I love that. Made me so happy. That made my day. So yeah, good deeds can be done after all. Who knew? So, we have any books for this episode? Yes, an exceptional book. It's called Bad Faith, 
Race and the Rise of the Religious Right by Randall Balmer. That's the one book I'm going to recommend. You've got to read it. It's it's great. It's It explains everything. You're going to understand everything that's going on right now. Yeah, and people who've listened this far without getting angry and throwing their phone against the wall... <laughs> we do post two premium episodes each month exclusively available to our patrons and you can get them by clicking on the link in the episode notes or by going to dubiouspod.com and clicking on the become a patron button right there on the homepage. yes and you'll not only get those episodes you'll get all our regular episodes ad free and the extra premium content ad-free as well, of course. Also, if you like us, a five-stars rating and hopefully a good review would really, really be helpful as well. We are at DubiousPod on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. And we have cool episode graphics there and also sound bites from our premium episodes if you want to check those out, guys. All right. I think that's it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Yes, thanks, guys. And see you next time. <laughs>